Blog Talk Radio. Intelligent, controversial, groundbreaking. The great liberators are coming. Hosts Amiri Brown and Kenya White take on all topics intrinsic to the black experience. No topic is too cold or too hot. Now, here are the great liberators, Amiri Brown and Kenya White. Hey, how's everyone doing out there? This is your host, Amiri Brown. We're coming to you live tonight on Sunday at 8 o'clock. I'm joined by my co-host, Kenya. Kenya, are you there? Hello. Hey, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, we got a, you know, we got a, a power pack show tonight. It's, it's, it's definitely going to be, um, you know, going to be a profound show. We have, um, you know, we're going to be joined by Melody Wilson. She's, um, she's a sexual, sexual abuse um, survivor and advocate, um, and so she has a lot of uh, experience when dealing with this issue because you know that's something that's that's as quiet as it's kept. It's the it's the thousand pound gorilla within the black community. You know there it, it's it's way more widespread and pervasive than than what we know or what we even you know or what we even acknowledge. But mm-hmm. um, we wanted to just talk about you know a couple of stories in the news. Um, and it's something that you had, that you know that 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 hasn't been talked about in the mainstream media. But mm-hmm. uh, apparently there's, um, you know, an, Ebo- an Ebola outbreak in, mm-hmm. in West Africa, you know, in, in the Congo region. And, you know, what I, what I find um, ironic when it, comes to, mm-hmm. when it comes to this is how it always seems like there is some type of pandemic going on in Africa. You know, right. like, have, you, have you noticed that? Like, when was the last time you heard about a, a pandemic in in Asia or exactly. in um, or in or in Europe, it's always you know mm-hmm. this pandemic in Africa. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. I'm always suspicious, you know, when those things um, when those things take place. Now, now of course, you know, it's, this past weekend it was um, it was Malcolm X's birthday, and and mm-hmm. also simultaneously they had this so-called royal wedding going on and I, and I was surprised and I was, I was perplexed because you know you had a lot of people who were you know celebrating um celebrating this 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 wedding and this marriage as as if it was some type of uh win for black people or win for right. for black women you know I, I i could care less if i could give a damn you know they're not royal to me you know what right. was your thoughts on that because i you know i saw people you know sharing sharing memes and stuff about it on on social media i just i just found it really really ironic what were some of your thoughts on that my thoughts on that are that i think it's ridiculous how um there's posts being made celebrating it like she's won some kind of prize by marrying into that family and um i don't think she has and if you remember um even Princess Diana, towards the end, she was trying to get away from that family. She wasn't 
mm-hmm. you know, feeling happy and lucky to have been um, married into that family. And also when I was digging around on it, I discovered mm-hmm. that um, that Megan is not even the first mis- mixed race royal because King George III um, wed um, Princess Sophia Charlotte of um, Mecklenburg, Mecklenburg Streelitz. Mm-hmm. Right on September 8th, 1761. And according Mm -hmm. to the book, A Royal Experience, The Private Life of King George III by Janice Hadlow, it's a, she's Mm -hmm. described as having brown, what does it say? Brown hair piled high in ringlets, in curly ringlets Mm -hmm. falling about her long neck that appeared to be the beautiful Cafe Olay. So obviously she was she had some African descent in her somewhere. Oh wow! Now I, I I didn't I didn't know that. Now I was aware that you know you had you know going back um, to around the 1600s that you did have uh, you know um, black nobility. Um, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, Queen Queen Charlotte. That's from, yep. that's from Charlotte, North Carolina's named after, and she was a she was a mulatto. A mulatto mm-hmm. woman, um, and she and she did have strong Negroid features. Now, mm-hmm. the, the other thing that happened in the news over the you know over this weekend was there was another mass shooting in Texas, yes. and it's, yeah. I mean it's getting to the point now where it's it's I mean it's almost happen, happening on a regular basis. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean it, it's 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 getting. Um, it's getting ridiculous. I think it and it, had, it was another school shooting, another school shooting. But you know what? There's there seems to there seems to be this um, this undercurrent of of people out there who who don't buy into the narrative that's pushed by the mainstream media when it comes to a lot of these shootings. Like a lot of people view those view these shootings as. Um, you know, false flag operations and things like that. What do you What do you think about that? Do you think that that is something that is possible? Do you think where our legs are being being jerked and that these are crisis actors? What What are your thoughts? What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's very possible. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's very possible. I think that you know you can only believe a small percentage of what we even see anymore. Because they do that kind of stuff, and it's all right. for it's just psychological warfare against the people, just you know, order out of chaos, that kind of thing. They're trying to, I think they're doing the thing with the school shootings because they're trying to get some gun legislation in there. But um, mm-hmm. and I do think that they wouldn't mind sacrificing some human life to do it. It sounds cruel and unusual, but I mean, we're we're dominated by cruel and unusual people, so Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't I don't think that's that's what it is. I think probably it's um I think I think it's real. I think there's a level of disconnection and unreality that's going on within the populace now because, you know, because partly because of social media, now that, that the term false flag has become has become um popularized. And it, it, you know, so people are now more more aware of it. They use it, you know, more um, more freely. So they'll see anything and everything as a false flag. I think we have to understand and realize that 
when you have a system that is built on violence, that is predicated mm-hmm. on violence, and one that uh, is wholly given to to violence to accomplish whatever means whatever means you deem the, that you you know whatever your goal is. Well, mm-hmm. then you create this. You create an environment that's conducive for these types of mass of mass terror. I mean, it's, it's something that that I'm always reminded of when I go back and I think about the uh, you know that 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 episode we did. I think it was called Black White Supremacists, and we had a couple of white nationalists and white supremacists call up, and uh-huh. one of them one of them said, "We can't get rid of the guns because mm-hmm. we need the guns to protect us from the blacks." You see. Racism mm-hmm. in and of itself is a, is a cancer. It's a cancer. Yeah. And because these people are wholly given over to, to the idea of white supremacy and racism, and not only given over to the idea of it, but also practicing it, you know, practice, uh, actually practicing it as a way of life, then they, they need the guns and the violence and all these things are are connected and interrelated. I don't even think black people understand that the majority of the conspiracy theories that we hear about, whether we're talking about fluoride in the water, um, concentration camps, the FEMA camps, those um, conspiracy theories come from the same ilk of people that we call white nationalists. We have to realize that. See, because these people view the central governing body of the United States as an enemy to, to, to their white ethno state that they're trying to accomplish. This is how come like they, they, like Timothy McVeigh when he blew up that Oklahoma federal building, the Clive and Bundy gang a few years ago who were, who, uh, you know, got into their, their standoff with the federal government because, you know, like early, early on in the founding of America, mm-hmm. the office of the president and the functioning of the federal government was to do those things for the states that the states couldn't do for themselves, which was the formation of international treaties and for a strong, a strong defense, a military, a military defense. The office of the president of the presidency didn't even contain a domestic scope. The, the president didn't even have a domestic agenda. The, the, the very reason why presidents came to have a domestic agenda was because of the civil war. With Abraham Lincoln, you see what I'm saying? Because the the agrarian economy of the of the South was affecting the the Union's ability to um, to compete with 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 other with other superpowers and nations at that time as the industrial boom was beginning to to take place and to take shape. You see what I'm saying? So they mm-hmm. always view the federal government as a hostile force. This is how come you hear them say things like states' rights. That's what they're right. talking about. So they always view the federal government as an opposing force because it is the federal government that has at least tangentially given black people some measure of of protection. I mean, it's th- that is the very reason why you don't have them just committing mentions like they used to, because that's really what they want to do. So, you know, all yeah. these things are, are all connected. And this is how come many times a lot of these mass shooters have white nationalist, white nationalist leanings and white supremacist ideologies, you know, so, mm-hmm. so we have to understand that. Uh, but the number to call in is 646-564-9858. Um, we actually have the guest, Melody Wilson, 
and the cue, so I'm going to bring her on, and we can get into into the meat of this meat of the show, which is sexual abuse and pedophilia in the black community. Okay. Yeah, Melody. Hello, hi. Hello, hey, Melody. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Oh, we great. We great. We do. We doing good tonight. We doing good. This is a you know this is right here is an is an important topic and an important subject. And you know what? I think that there's this stigma attached to it. And so we don't give it the full weight and uh, scope that we should to actually deal with this problem that is so prevalent in our communities. And I, and I think we actually do ourselves a disservice. We do our young girls a disservice and we do our young men a disservice by not, by not tackling this issue and, in a way that is that is serious and objective right. and fair, because I think you know what I think a lot of times many black men, because I've had this discussion, you know, with brothers on on Facebook when we when we get into the the statistics, of mm-hmm. you know sexual the sexual abuse of of our little girls, and it seems to me that many black men will take a defensive posture and a defensive stance because I mean let's be honest when you have a rate that says 60% of our girls will be touched or sexually assaulted by the time they turn 18, then that is not necessarily a positive reflection on the male populace. That is not a positive reflection, reflection on us. And I think that many, many men personalize that, you know, that, that, that issue, they personalize it instead of looking at it objectively and fairly to actually give it the full weight and credence that, that it deserves. Um, so if you and could, also, Melody, um, just go ahead. Also, because we do press upon the fact that it happens to young women um, a lot more because it does, um, it doesn't negate mm-hmm. the fact that it's happening to little boys too. That's and right. although we may not realize that it's happening to little boys too, it does happen at astronomical rates. The rate itself is high. So mm-hmm. if the rate itself mm-hmm. is high and the, the young girls is higher, it still does mean that it's happening to young boys. And they mm-hmm. are being assaulted by men and women. But, I, I mean, I won't get too further into that because I want to talk about that later. But I just mm-hmm. wanted to mention that because okay. what I think that I got, that we both got out of the debate that we did um, was that, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, we agreed to disagree, but we both come to understand that it is a huge problem. And mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. that you're wrong for what you feel, because I wasn't wrong for what I feel and what the facts were, and neither were you, because you yeah. had your facts right. as well. But at the end of the day, we have to, all of us have to understand how we have this conversation, because there are people around us who are unbeknownst to us who have already had experiences that they've never shared with anyone, mm-hmm. and worst are our children. And anytime you say, you know, you have a child that I had this experience, you know, I, talk, I have talked to these kids all the time and mm-hmm. I had one like mm-hmm. I told you before that was like you know my the grandfather had been touching on her for years well actually was having sex with her now but mm-hmm. she didn't want to tell her mom because her mom works at a shop and she was listening to all of them talk and it was the things they were saying about rape victims that she waited she didn't she didn't tell her eventually she did but she yeah. didn't tell her yeah mm-hmm. 
So I think that's what we, you know, we learn from each other. And at the end of the day, we came to that agreement that this is what's most important. Yeah, we do have this issue, and yeah, you're right on this issue. But at the end of the day, if we don't find a way to fuse them, the only ones that are going to suffer are our children because nine times out of ten, a lot of women who are assaulted in their adult lives are women who have already had experiences as children because of the effects that we have experienced. You, you understand what I'm saying, the right. effects that we get from what's happened to us. So then later on in life, we actually end up placing ourselves in positions to end up getting hurt. Right. 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 Okay. Um, you know, and, and, and what you said is, you know, is exactly um, on point. And it's, it's, it's too selfish for us as, as men and or adults to just ignore ignore this issue and not really – look at it for, for what it is. Because you know what we do? Like, as as men, even just, I'm going to speak coming from a black male perspective. You mm-hmm. know, it's easy for us to uh, be judgmental and, and demonize what we would call the thought. You know, the, like the thought caricature right. black, mm-hmm. black woman. Someone who's, uh, you know, who may be sexually promiscuous or, you know, whatever the case is. And it's easy for us to critique a behavior and to pass judgment on on women like that without really understanding what forces, what social forces may have taken place in her life to put her Absolutely. on that track mm-hmm. of behavior. Because I, one thing I have noticed is within our black social spaces, it's there's more of a stigma towards pedestrian than there is to pedophilia. Like we put a... A, right. a distinction between the two. Like we don't look at a young girl being sexually assaulted with the same way we look at it as happening to to a black boy. It, it seems to be more vilified and more reprehensible to us when it's happening to a to a black boy from a black male. And and and, mm-hmm. and you know what? Well, that's something that you know Umar Johnson and others talk about, and they talk about the link between that and you know homosexuality. But what we don't talk about is how those things affect the female. Because many times when, mm-hmm. when those girls have those experiences, they mm-hmm. tend to grow up and be sexually promiscuous and not have boundaries when it comes to when it comes to their bodies. Like a lot of or um, go ahead. Or you have some women who totally aren't comfortable with sex at all. Mm. Right. They 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 can't have n- typical or or healthy sexual relationships, mm. or they they are uh, sexually deviant. Mm. There's so they, they, there's so many uh, spectrums that we go, right. especially when it comes right. to That's that. Because for us, we're the typical ones of looking for love in all the wrong places. Because all That's we're right. really looking for is attention and affection. And then Definitely. those who have that, um, what you call, like, I guess maybe deviant behavior, because you have some women who they can't orgasm, mm-hmm. they can't get turned on or anything unless they are mm-hmm. being roughed up like they were during the rape. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And then what happens is if they are even able to achieve that, you know, that, that mm-hmm. point that of, of ejaculation after it's over, then they're, they don't, they feel nasty and they, you understand, beating themselves right. up. It's like experiencing the thing all over again. But in some right. way, it's, it's always a mental space, whether you're going this way, that way, or the other way. It's always a mental space. Right. Um, 
can you just for the listeners, right quick, just go ahead and give us, um, you know, your 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 background, uh, a brief bio, and you know, just give us your your you know your testimony because you you are someone who has dealt with um, sexual abuse and survived it, and so just just give us some of those um, those insights if if you don't mind. Okay, again, my name is Melody Wilson. I was raped, uh, molested and raped by my biological father at the age of uh, 13 years mm-hmm. old. Um, long story mm-hmm. short, I suffered some aspects of every last one of the 37 different residual effects that are possible mm-hmm. for us to mm-hmm. experience after we've uh, experienced sexual violation. And um, up until my recovery uh, at 33, which is going on 12 years ago, I started my own recovery. Um, because uh, I lost my job, lost benefits, and wasn't able to uh, pay for therapy. (laughs) So I went, and what happened was I found the uh, Survivors of Incest Anonymous, and that's where I found that checklist. And when I found that checklist, that's where I saw those 37 different residual effects. And I'm reading one by one, and each time that I'm reading one, I'm like, oh, my God, that's me. Oh, my God, I do that. Oh, my God, I'm going through that. It's like, you know, I mean, like not one or four. No, it's like one, two, three. And it's like by the time I got to 37, I was so (laughs) messed up. One time I actually had to take a break. I was so messed up. And, I mean, nauseous, crying, angry, laughing, like every emotion you could probably experience because it was like, oh, my God. This is what's mm. wrong with me. This is, you know, I'm crazy. And then I went through that whole thing. You know, I'm I'm never going to be right. I'll never get this right, you know. And then mm. all of a sudden it was like I had this epiphany. Um, this is the Internet, which means millions of people are experiencing these exact same 37 different res- residual effects, which means that this is not you. This is who you became because of what happened to you. Yeah. And me right. being the person that I am, I immediately was like, okay, that means that there's a person in there that I don't know can get to know, and I can help that person be somebody different. Because mm-hmm. by then, it was like I saw how messed up my life really was on print. It's like you know, you go, it's like you go through life, and mm-hmm. you know, things happen here, good things, bad things, and you kind of feel like, well, maybe I'm on track, maybe I'm not. But it was like when I saw this, it was like a blueprint of my life. Like, everything that was wrong in my life was, like, right there on that screen. So when I decided to do that, I, um, like I said, I didn't didn't have any coverage or anything. So I just went and got me a bunch of self-help books. Mm -hmm. And I went Mm -hmm. into my recovery. It was a situation with my dad that kind of, like, forced me uh, into my recovery. I came home, and I was able to go to my old house where I lived with him. And I took some pictures of uh, the house and my room and all that. And when I came home, I just sat down. I just started writing. And I I got Mm -hmm. sick. I just started throwing up and everything. And it was like, okay, when you get in those moments, you want to run. You want to stop. It gets too heavy. You don't want to think. You understand? You you do that, you think you're going to bring up more and more. So I was like, I could stop here and go back to living my everyday existence, you know, like this whirlwind. Or I could just go ahead and push through this and get to the Mm -hmm. other side and see what's going to come next. So I pushed through and I wrote, you know, everything out. And what I did was I wrote a letter to my family, I addressed my mother, both my sisters, and then my father. I made four copies and sent it out to everybody to make sure that everybody got the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And my father was the first to respond, and I did not open his letter. It took me 10 years. I just opened it on the Rock Newman show, and I didn't open it. I let him do it, and I let him read it. Wow. And, um, yeah, my wow. mom responded. It. I'm sorry. My mom responded, and I never received it. 
And uh, my sisters never responded. And I just, I cut everybody off for a year and I went into my recovery. And then once I come back into my recovery, you know, come back from that year, you know, that's a whole other thing trying to deal with my family. But in the process of going Mm -hmm. through my recovery over the 12 years, I've gone back to school and got my bachelor's in psychology. I have my master's in professional counseling and I'm currently in a PhD program. I've been on two television shows and I have two books. I've been doing advocacy life coaching now for three years. And the one video that I have on Facebook went viral, God, maybe about two, three years ago. And that's where uh, most of my communications come from, men, women, and children all over the world. So, right. And I like wow. to let people know, um, when, when, especially when it comes to the degrees and everything, because I tell people I don't think degrees is no pedigree to hold over nobody's head, head that you're you know, more intellectual or anything than anybody else. You understand? Mm-hmm. I know street right. people that I, that I learn from every single day that I consider geniuses. But right. I like to let people know and understand because a lot of times when they hear us talking, even when we become passionate or, or emotional and they label mm-hmm. us over-emotional, which if you understand the effects that we go through, you, yeah, we should be over-emotional. But they mm-hmm. think that we only speak out of our experiences. Like that shouldn't be enough. But right. when I mention my degrees, right. I want you to know and understand that not only do I come from a personal per- perspective, I come from the perspective of, ac- of academia because I've studied all of this, and I also mm-hmm. come from the perspective mm-hmm. of the profe- of, on the professional aspect because I work with everybody, all colors, right. all nation- nationalities, and, you know, it's all over. But the mm-hmm. thing that makes it so prevalent within the black community is because it's stigmatized, like you say, and we don't talk about it. What goes on in this house stays in this house. We'll just go for prayer right. and stuff like that. I mean, take notice for the Me Too moment. When the Me Too moment right. happened, it was some, you know, you see some ethnic women, but what do you see most? Because I don't mean no harm, but white women go and tell it. Right. Right. If they don't feel too much fear, White women going to tell it. They're going to talk about their stuff. We don't talk about it because we're afraid of how our families are not going to believe us. They're going to turn against us, and we're going to be labeled as this, that, and a third. But depending on the situation you were in, you might have asked for it. Right. right. So that's me. That's who I am. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you this. And I always because like that to was say I was... that in all things that what? I do – it is always my purpose to help, heal, educate, motivate, inspire, and challenge, not change, but mm-hmm. challenge rationale, give you something to think about. It's up to you whether or not you change it. Right. Right. Um, now, something I, I wanted, I was, I was curious about um, was had you confronted, confronted your father about, you know, about what he did to you? Um, what was the um, nature of, of the letter? of his response? Well, <sighs> I had to go to court, of course. Mm-hmm. He, he he was supposed to get like 14 consecutive years, and it dwindled down to four. He only did like four years. When he mm-hmm. was in okay. jail, he sent me a letter uh, saying, the, all I remember something like the devil made him do it, Satan something. I don't know. But at that time, it being 14, and because I was a daddy's girl and I loved my dad so much, I was always conflicted in my feelings and my thoughts. And he always played on my mind. Right. So it was always like, even though I was glad that it stopped, I was sad that I felt like I hurt him and put him in there because that was my daddy. You know? Right. Um, Wow. I can imagine what, you know, know, what that is like in the psychological emotional stress that that could have on on a person 
Oh, absolutely. And that's why I tell people now, I did, um, it's been a couple of years ago, and I spoke at a church, and it's, God just led mm-hmm. me to speak. On Father's Day, they asked people to speak. And, you know, I, want, I always let people know that regardless of what has happened, I still love my father. You know, I remember right. the man that he was to me prior to him violating me, because prior to him violating me, I'm blessed, crazy as it sounds. I'm crazy. I mean, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm blessed that it happened at 13 when it did, because prior to him hurting me, he gave me a lot of good qualities that actually helped me go through what, you know, get through my recovery. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. I let people know that, you know, I... It, it was a dichotomy that I struggled with because, you know, first off, people expect you to, ha- you know, hate in some kind of way if you, if you feel like they feel like, you know, that he actually did it. You know, then you got those who want you to feel, you know, that, that support him. And then inside yourself, you just, you know, love it. I was always closer to my father than I was my mother. Even now, me and my mom are not close. Mm-hmm. Our relationship is better, but we're not close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what so, type of... Um, so, so let me ask you this: Like, when when this situation happened, how did it how did it come to the light? Did you tell immediately, or was it something that you struggled with? with no, nope. absolutely how did you not. It? Absolutely not. And I promise you, to this day, if it had not happened this way, I never would have told anybody. What happened mm-hmm. was he was doing he was having sex with me so much on the regular, and he lies to this day and says it was only one time, but he was doing it so regularly that I was going through different changes with my body, and it was homecoming week at school, and i got I got sick. I was at school one day, and I kept having these really bad muscle spasms one day one minute I'm okay, next minute I'm bent over in pain, I can't stand up, and I took a taekwondo up under him, and I would teach class for him when he would work. So I would go open up Mm -hmm. class until he got off or whatever. And on this particular day, I was supposed to go work on floats, and I was going to leave there, go open up class. But when for some reason, I don't know why, I couldn't get in. And it was within walking distance because I was from a small town to my mom's house, but I was in so much pain that I just walked to my mom's. And when I knocked on the door, she opened the door, and I just fell on the floor, my hands and knees crying. And just to go backward, when I, I used to argue with my mother so bad because I wanted to be with my father. They were separated. And I would get in trouble mm-hmm. in school, and he had to come over. So what happened was I got angry with her because I actually wanted to have a boyfriend, crazy enough. And she was like, no, you can't. And I was like, you know what, I want to go stay with my daddy. And she's like, you know what? She said, I'm tired of you threatening me with that. If you want to go, go stay, you know, go with him. She said, but I guarantee you when you come back, you're going to be on your hands and knees crying. When I came to her door that day, I was on my hands and knees crying. So I ended up staying over her night for about a night or two. And he came over because he had my Medicaid card. And he he sat down Mm -hmm. on on the side of the chair next to me. And he looked me in my face. He said, you ain't sick. He said, you just want to come home. He said, but if you want to come home, come get your shit and go home. Mm-hmm. So I went, my mom took me over there and me and my sister was packing up my stuff and I'm packing up, packing up all my stuff. And I, what happened was I, the first time that he hurt me, I wrote about it. And when I was packing up, mm-hmm. I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. So my thought process is, well, if I can't find it, that means it's still here. He'll find it. Then nobody will ever know. But we packed right. up, and when I was packing up my stuff, he he was there taunting me, taunting oh, me, oh. laughing at me, mm. talking. I mean, cursing, talking, junk. I mean, just you know, like a like a like a little demon. You know, somebody just picking, picking, picking like a kid. Yeah. Right. So when I got to my mom's, I was just glad to be home. But then after we got mm-hmm. there, not long after, my sister was just crying out of nowhere, 
And my mom, she like, you know what's wrong with her? And I'm like, mm-mm. And initially, I really didn't. I didn't know if it was just, you know, that whole process, just me moving out, you know, in and out or whatever. And then that night, she was still crying. It's like through the night, she was still crying. And then we woke up to go to school the next morning. She was still crying. When we woke up, when we got ready to go to bed, something was like, mm, I wonder if she found out. I was like, no, maybe she didn't. But when we woke up the next morning to go to school and she was still crying, I said, she mm-hmm. found it. I ain't say nothing. Right. I went to school like I didn't know nothing. But when I came home that day, my mom, her best friend, my cousin, and my tennis coach were all there. And wow. they made my friend go home and they, my tennis coach, because I was really, really close to him, he took me back in my bedroom and he just gave me this look like, you know why we're here. Right. And I just broke mm. down crying and that's when, you know, everything kind of came to, you know. And then I had a cousin who was a doctor and they took me to her to get checked along with the letter, and my hymen was broken. She told me, we got to report it. And I'm spazzing, no, nobody ain't got to know. She was like, if I don't report this, I could lose my license. So they reported Mm -hmm. it, and probably that same night, maybe a night, you know, 30 years ago, they arrested him at his job. And one of the cops that arrested him told my mother that he was like, I don't know why she lied on me like that. Mm. So that's how it came to light. Right. And had it not happened that way, I'd have never told anybody ever. He told me, just like right. all other, especially kids, they, I was threatened. You know, mm. you're going to break up the family. Right. Nobody's, ain't nobody going to believe you. You know, I'll do this right. and that to you. I'll do this and that and that to your sisters, to your brother. Wow. Right. That's, and then it was my own stigma is... of what people were going to think about me if I said anything. Right, right. That is, that is that is tragic. That's wow. I can only you know I can only imagine. And now you imagine um, me going through that like. at the age of thirteen. Can you imagine a child that's <clears throat> two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten going through that? Right. Because see, at right. the age of thirteen, when I was going through it, I had already started developing my cognitive abilities and functions and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. inductive, deductive reasoning, where you could start. You know, what I'm saying putting things and concepts together. Your, your schemas. Right. 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 But when you got a, a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, I was talking to a young lady that remembers being first molested and touched at four years old. Can you imagine what that, what that does to them, especially if it's an authority figure or a parent or a family member, somebody that they trust? Right. And then they're they're inside yeah. of themselves struggling. How do I how do I tell my mommy or my daddy or whoever that so and so is touching on me and they love them so much? Right. Are they going to think it's my fault? Because we always go to that first. It was my fault. I had to do something to cause it. And when I was in court with my dad, you know, one of the things that they said, basically I enticed him by walking around with certain clothes on and nightgowns and stuff like that. Yeah, what? that's what they actually said in court. Right, well, yeah, well, see, that's well we, you know, that's, that's, that's the, that is what is in our, in our ethos within the black community, the larger American society too, but that is something that is, that is prevalent within black society. I've heard, I've heard that too, like, you know, with a little fast ass, she was asking uh, for yeah. you know, you know, stupid shit like yeah. that, and yeah. and where but we the tend thing to, is, if to I'm want your daughter, to. daughter, you shouldn't be but, looking at me like that because if you think it's inappropriate, anyway. the first thing you should say is go take your button and go put some clothes on. Right. That's right. 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 But but you shouldn't be. But see, this is the thing I talk about where as as men, because of the way we're we're socialized, we it's it's hard for us to see to not view women. Within a uh, within a sexual light, anyway. Like, cause, you know, I've I've heard people say that, you know, say that to like a, a little girl, she might be six or eight, and she'll have on, 
you know, a bikini and they'll talk about the way she dressed and how she fast and how she grown. Well, my thing is, I, under no circumstances should you be sexually attracted to an eight-year-old any goddamn way. Absolutely. Like, I don't care what she Absolutely. has on. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. That's a child, period. So, so, so it's, it's not her with the issue. It's, it, it, it's the individual that is, that is tempted that has the issue, period. And, and that's and something that we should, you you know, we should make clear. I'm going to tell you what's another problem, too, sexualizing mm-hmm. these young boys at a young age. We mm-hmm. have too many right. men and some women, too, who think it's okay to make a, man, make a young man a, 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 a man, go out and get them an right. older woman or whatever to have sex with and think that that's okay and, yeah. and glorifying these sexual experiences. And when there's a lot of men, you, do, you have no idea how many men I have talked to who were molested by older women, and it was not okay for them. They didn't think that was okay, right. six, seven, eight you know, even up until 12 and 13 years old, being molested by aunts, mommy, right. best right. friends. And mm-hmm. it had psychologically, there was this young man that I used to ride to work with, and he used to ride to work with me every day. And one day he just mm-hmm. wanted to look at my book, the first book that I had. And I noticed he had a, a girlfriend. He was so nasty to her. He used to talk so mean to her, so degrading. And one day I said to, her, I said to him, I said, listen, let me tell you something. If you, when you're around me, you can't do that. I said, I don't care what you do when you're not around me. I said, but when you're around me, I can't listen to you talk to her like that. And when he read my book, he broke down and told me that he had been molested by his mother's best friend. And that all these years, he's been angry with his mother because his mother did not believe him and did not protect him. And he'd been hating women. He was in a relationship getting ready to marry this girl and didn't even like her. He didn't even like women. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, that's, that is deep right there. That's deep. Because, you know, that, that's something I, I mentioned a while back, too, is how there is a, a you know, a lot of black men have, have fractured relationships with, you know, with their mothers. And so that, you know, that invariably affects the way that we deal with and interact with, uh, with black women, you know, generally speaking, even, even with our daughters, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's so much trauma that's prevalent within, within the black community that, mm-hmm. um, that, I mean, it, it, it's a shame. But now let me ask you this. What would be, what would you say are some of the warning signs when a child is being, is being um, sexually as, uh, abused um, or assaulted? Because many times okay. they, they gonna... are told to be, to keep it, to keep it quiet by the perpetrator. Right. So what's some of the warning right. signs we could look for? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the girls and the boys because they're, they're, the rest okay. of them are pretty similar. And then I'll just give you the rest that are, that are similar. For, for little girls, most of the time you'll notice, like, say that they're typically, typically dressing like, you know, little girls, you know, they normally do it, and all of a sudden they're dressing more promiscuous, okay? Mm-hmm. They're either dressing more promiscu- promiscuous or you notice that they're putting more clothes on, like right. in summertime and they were in jogging suits, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Sexually promiscuous behavior out of nowhere, like um, dancing a certain way, talking a certain way, watching um, certain videos. Um, With little little boys, uh, whether the abuse is with uh, women or men, they usually do become recluses. Um, Mm -hmm. Notice that they have, um, can be sad, depressed behavior and increased uh, aggression. And for boys, when this happens, like I said, whether it's with men or women, they usually start to question their sexuality. Right. That's around the time they start questioning, you know, 
if 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 some man did this to me, and do I like men? Right. Mm. You, right. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Um, right. Those are probably like the only two that really separate them because even with little girls, they go through that too. <laughs> with both of them, they they become recluses. All of a sudden, they're spending time alone. They don't want to spend time with their friends. They don't want to go to family functions. Just separating themselves. Um, sad and depressed, uh, depressed behavior, not talking, no interest in activities, angry or more aggressive attitudes, fighting, lashing out, crying spells, or not wanting to be around mm. certain people, certain family members, and questions. Like if you got a, a, a little kid that all of a sudden is coming out, you know, some, most kids, they, wait, they might ask questions about body parts. But when they start asking more intricate questions about body parts or sex like that, you might want to start questioning, you know, why are you asking me these questions? And, you know, steady uh, checking your kids. Ask them, you know, who they're talking to, who they've been around. You know, if, if, if uh, patterns are unfamiliar, grooming is very, very, very important because predators, they will groom the parent mm. first so that they can get to mm. the kid. So if you got a person, a mentor, a teacher, somebody from the church that's saying, you know what, I'll take care of your kid. I'll take on them, you know, mentorship. Let them come spend the night with me tonight. You know what I'm saying? Be really, really leery. So don't worry about that. I'll pay for all of that. Stuff like that, be very, very uh, leery of that. Okay. Um, let's see, I'm looking uh, uh, at my notes here. Yeah, and always okay. be careful who you leaving your kids around, and especially right. family. Because right. if, I can't think of the statistics off my head. Rain has perfect statistics, R-A-I-N-N, Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. I think that's what it is, perfect statistics. Okay. But most right. of uh, the, in that 60% have been abused in their own homes. That's a huge number. Right. So be careful of who you're uh, leaving your kids around. And if your kids are leery about wanting to be around that person, there might be a reason why. And my thing is, right. I never take chances with with kids. If you if you think something ain't right, or if that kid told you and you're not even sure, why would you take something else over your child? Their child might be just acting out and just might be saying it, but why take that chance? Right. 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 That's that's and um, you know what? Because that was something. I think the reason why I'm so um, keen to it and and abreast of the issue is because that's something that my mother. I remember my mother would always would always talk about that. And she would always, um, you know, talk to me about it. Like coming up, like when I was around 15, 16, like me and my mother would just sit and just have, you know, I mean, just our discussions about, you know, about different stuff. And she, you know, cause she was molested, um, you know, by the men in her family, uncles and stuff like that. And mm. she would always, you know, caution me on how to, you have to, you know, you have to watch your children. You know, you have to watch, you know, watch who you're yeah. around and stuff like that because you never know. And I'll just give a brief, you know, a, a brief uh, testimony. I had a cousin, and this was, you know, this was years ago. And she was actually being molested by my aunt's boyfriend. And and it was my mother who, you know, who picked up on it because she said one day, they were, you know, they were, um, they were having a family gathering or something like that. And she said that she was just sitting on the sofa and she looked at my cousin and she could tell like the way that she was sitting, like the way that she mm-hmm. was sitting, that, that something was wrong. And she, and she was able to pick, probably, she she up was probably it, sitting so, all, she was probably sitting, uh, either all tensed up, head hung low, right. shoulders right. low, mm-hmm, not really talking. Right. And, 
Right. And yeah, she picked up on it. And, and so she, you know, she began to ask her what was wrong. And then she began to tell her and, 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 and the other children, like her brothers and sisters, cause she had brothers and sisters and stuff like that. And they, they began to tell, you know, tell her what was ha- what was happening. And so she, it was my mother who, you know, who, who brought it out, you know, and, and the guy, he ended up getting arrested. But I think some, somehow, somehow or another, he got bailed out. And and from what and if I remember correctly, he molested her from the time that it started when she was like when she was like around mm. seven, and it it ended seven mm. years later when he, when he killed her. He actually killed Jesus. her, and and killed oh, himself. God. And that's how come like you'll see me have the attitude I have when it comes to you know comes to this issue like this. Like you know like don't I, I don't want people to get it twisted like with this you know with this Me Too movement. This there tends to be this demonization of it by by a lot of black men, you know, talking about, you know, this Me Too movement. But my, my, my position is this, and I stand by it. If a black woman or, or, or any person that has been, has suffered sexual abuse and sexual assault, they have the right to say Me Too. They have the right to talk about it. They have the right to expose it. And just because it might cast a negative reflection on black men, that does not that does not negate the fact that she has the right to bring that issue up and to raise that issue because it was a black woman who started the Me Too hashtag. Like we try right. to ignore that. It was and it got co opted by white women because right. the, within society there tends to be more of um more attention given to the sexual abuse of of white women than black women mm-hmm. because historically mm-hmm. what we tell black women is, you know, you can't tell them not because look what them white people gonna do to him. Right, white people right. gonna do man, damn that. It was a black woman who started me too. And like it's something I've been noticing on you know, noticing on Twitter, like with, you know, Tariq Machine these and Jason Black and these so called pro blacks. And that's how come I go on I go in on these on these pro black frauds because what they really are, they're they're pro black male. There's no room for black women, there's no room mm-hmm. for black children. And and now all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're talking about oh, when well, they're going after R. Kelly. Damn R. Kelly, he should be gone after. He should okay. be, in, as far as I'm concerned, he should be under the jail. This man is on tape pissing on a little girl. So now I'm right. looking, I'm yeah, looking at you these clowns side out. But you know what, though? It's, but the, mm. there's a lot more information than there out there on R. Kelly. People just not, have not read, and it's been out probably since about 2012. There are a mm. whole list of court documents showing what R. Kelly was indicted on. He just paid his way out. Wow. There are statements mm. from um, from his from uh, business associates and family members talking about how this man has had problems for years, how he used to stand outside of the the um, I think it was the the high school the uh, te- what you call it the uh, talent school, you know you know the, the mm. word I'm trying to say, but he would stand outside the performing arts school and uh, get little right. girls outside of there and wait for them like at McDonald's prom pick them up. He would have threesomes with girls in the studio, 13, 14 years old, two of them had an abortion. I think one tried to kill herself, and he would just throw money and sneakers and tell them they can come hang out at the studio with him. So all of the information is out there. People just would rather believe what they believe instead of going out there to get the information. Why? Because it's going to contradict contradict what they believe, cognitive dissonance. They don't want to change what they believe. Mm -hmm. And you know what I call it? I call it, I have a more technical name for it. I call it cognitive dustiness. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this thing where we want to protect, you know, we want to protect the dusty right. niggas in you know our why? community. You that, know what I call it? You know what I call it? Mm-hmm. Willful ignorance. 
Uh-huh. I call right. it willful ignorance. You're choosing yeah. to be ignorant. When the information is out right. here and it can be found, you're choosing right. to be ignorant. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Hey, um, you know my- what? We actually have a we actually have a call. I'm gonna bring them on right quick. Call a three one four. I'm gonna bring you on and get your question or your comment. You just gotta be brief. Yeah, caller. Well, yeah. You know, uh, uh, who, well, who's this issue? Oh, this Tianti. Yeah, you know, this issue is more complicated than mm-hmm. what meets the eye. Okay. Now you do have, okay. and you know, another thing: when you sexually abuse, assault a child, that's a federal offense. And the lady that was making mention about. Her father, I don't know if she appeared in federal court or whether it was a local or state court, but that should have been a federal trial. Right. I guess you said it was your father. Because if a rape just does not, uh, it's just not a law pertaining from the state. Mm-hmm. It's also a law that's pertaining from the federal government. And another mm-hmm. point, there's a lot of teachers that having sexual contact with their male students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a website, and it's got page after page after page after page of these women that's doing this. Right. And then, mm-hmm. too, right. you know, you run into the situation where these allegations and these lies, like with Mike Tyson, for instance, not saying that he's an angel. You've seen it with uh, the running back for for the Cowboys, uh, Ezekiel I, uh, right. Elliot. Elliot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a broad spectrum of of what's going on along the lines of sexual abuse and rape and so forth. So I just want to put that out. But it is a federal offense, man. If you got kids that's being, first of all, you know, black community is so fractured, it doesn't have the ability to protect like it should. But if you got that going on, that's that's a federal offense. Right. All right. I appreciate your comment, Tianca. I appreciate you listening. Yeah, um, and and you know what? That's something that he said, and and that's how come like you'll see me get on get on the brothers because they, there's the, there tends to be this these excuses that we make as men when we pretend like it's something it's some force stopping us from doing what we need to do when it comes to our communities and when it comes to our families. The fact of the matter is that we have no protection within our communities, and because right. there is no you protection know- in our communities, go ahead. I think uh, one one thing I always talk about is this whole definition of rape culture. We don't even have a real solidified definition of rape culture. What we have Mm. is what the feminists have provided and what they kind of like, you know, use over and over, you know, throughout time. Mm. But if we are going to solidify a definition and if we want more support, there are things that within that definition that needs to be changed. We We need to stop vilifying and demonizing men within this whole culture because we have to understand that that women perpetuate this culture too, just as much. They perpetuate the culture Mm -hmm. by being supportive uh, of these predators. They said they perpetuate the culture by handing them, handing um, our kids over to these predators because some of them actually prepare them. And then we have those who are out here raping too. And I think because, right. we're, like I said, we're always focusing, focusing on the fact that little girls, you know, we don't place enough emphasis on little boys. And here we have, remember, Africa Bambata, who has um, right. um, hurt over, what, 100 and some little boys. That's not a lot. Right. right. And, and, so and from what, and from what Hassan Campbell says, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Well, 
from what I, I you know, I, I, I actually follow Hassan Campbell and he was like the first whistleblower when it came to the African man by the situation. And from what he says, right. it was a thing where you had everyone in the community knew what was going on, but yet no one did anything about it. That that whole thing with that that veil of conspiracy, that veil of silence. And then you where and you hear what you don't said. Want everybody knew what was going monsters. on. Right, and then you right. hear what you said. Everybody knew what was going on, and then what happened? They got mad with him. Didn't folks still get mad with him? Yeah. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. They got mad he with, with, with that brother because of that. Right. Right. And. I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's it's really disheartening because if we can't protect our children, and that that goes for the boys and the girls, then that says a lot about us as you know as a as a community. And, and yeah, this, and it's going to continue like said, to be a, a breakdown in our in our in in the black community. It's going to continue to be a breakdown because look at how you got us growing up. When you got young men and young right. women who are being hurt that young, then we grow up into these toxic relationships. Then you know what I'm saying we grow into so many different things. We grow into narcissists who can't have relationships. We grow into sociopaths. Right. I mean, it's like so many different things that we grow into, and all we are adults who are kids who have been hurt. Right. Because me right now, I am in my 40s still trying to learn how to date. I'm just now learning how to date. Mm. And, and I got four I mean, kids and a grandbaby. I got four kids right. and a grandbaby. <laughs> I'm just learning how to date and I've been <laughs> married and divorced. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 um, it's wild, man. And, and so, like, you know, just like I was saying with, you know, with Tariq and them and stuff like that, this whole thing where, you know, like, trying now, all of a sudden, you're trying to cape for, for, for R. Kelly. Nah, man, you know, that dude deserve whatever he get. And if any, if there is any black men out here who's, who's done, who's, who's harmed a woman or a child or anything like that sexually, then he deserves to be me too. And he deserves to be under the jail. That's just all there is to it. And we got to open our mouths and tell on these guys. When my dad was doing what he was doing to me, he wasn't the only one. He had a cousin that he hung out that was hung out with that was doing the same thing. I think it was like two or three of them. That, um, they all hung together. Mm-hmm. It was doing the same thing. Wow. Raping their right. daughters. Melody. That's crazy. I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I I can't you know I I can't I can't fathom harming harming any child like that let alone my own you know like it, it, I mean that is so um so crazy like I, it's 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 heartbreaking but it really see that's is. the but sickness I, um, because they don't care they don't care they don't right. care what they're doing to the to the next person particularly a kid just to satisfy their own sexual sexual gratification and urges. It got it. You know, right. It's a sickness because you, it, you, it's that it's just that controllable cheat that you don't realize and you don't care that you are with, when you hurt a child, particularly particularly a child. You you take the shine totally out their eyes. You take their lives. Right. Right. And their personalities change. Everything about them from that moment just completely changed. You don't know what whatever life that God had in store for that child. You have already mm-hmm. set up. I'm sorry. You right. said me. You have already. You know. what I'm saying? Interrupted that child's pattern. We all have developmental levels that we go on. If you, if a child gets uh, hurt between the ages of two and six years old, you've already interrupted a pattern. That now, if they don't psychologically get to correctly, they're not going to psychologically correctly get to the rest of the other levels. Right. That's why a lot of and you know what? That was we still dealing with that young kid on the inside. They right. don't realize how right. that manifests on the outside. Right. And, and and it has it has far-reaching, you know, implications. And, and like you just said, it it affects our ability to form st- 
stable, familiar, familiar structures uh, going forward. Like when it comes to dating and marriage and things like that. And so, and so as long as these pathologies continue to exist and operate within our social spaces, then mm-hmm. the breakdown will, you know, it, it will continue. continue. And I, I, mm-hmm. there can't, there can't constantly be this visceral knee jerk reaction from, you know, from segments of our society of black mm-hmm. society when we talk about the ills and the evils that are prevalent within within our black social spaces, whether we're talking about sexual abuse, pedophilia, rape culture, um, domestic violence, because all these all these numbers and stats paint paint a picture and, and, and what is at the, the crux of the issue is a culture of disrespect that exists within mm-hmm. our um our society it's like mm-hmm. it's so normalized that that it's just commonplace for us to engage in it and, and we don't even understand it like even when you know a few months ago there was a a video on facebook of of a child being made to perform on a grown man and i was triggered right, real and, bad and, and, by that yeah. Me too, because it, it was it was it was a it, I was so disgusted at the at the idea that you had individuals who are so disconnected mm-hmm. that they didn't understand why they shouldn't share that image. Like they didn't, you know, this whole exactly. thing. You know, we we trying to get we just trying to get help. We just, all of a sudden y'all 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 Sherlock Holmes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't even understand exactly. why that video shouldn't go viral. If that was if that was white society with a blonde haired, blue eyed little good white girl, they would not have perpetuated that film. Let us look. They done shut down the internet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They they would have knew better than to than to perpetuate that film. Right. But then when we talk about what's going on in our society and I and, and and going on in our social spaces, we want to pretend like it's some feminist trope or it's, it's something coming from the, from the white society because they're trying to hold the black man down or they're trying to hold this right. man down, as opposed to dealing with the monsters in our midst. Mm-hmm. Right. You see what I'm saying? It's something when you tell me, when you're constantly pointing at another, another portion of society that I'm relatively close from because I don't have that much interaction with, with, with white people on an interpersonal level. So, but yet... Everyone that I, every person that that I see doing harm in my community that I have to interact with looks like me. How are you gonna tell me right. you're the enemy? That right. wasn't right. A, that wasn't a white man doing that to a little black child. Right. right. You see what I'm saying? And this shit where we can't talk about it, we can't expose it. Everybody just must pretend. Your idea of unity is everybody going along with your shit and not calling you out for what the hell you're doing. Right. 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 Irregardless of the irreparable damage that you're doing, and then right. when these when when these girls grow up and and now she she has no no understanding of 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 her of her body and and, and sexual boundaries, now you want to demonize her for that too. Right. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? Melody, it's, it's so normalized that you know we don't even understand that. I have a question for Melody. Well, I have a couple questions. Okay. I wanted to ask you, did your father assault your sisters as well? And then also in your work with uh, survivors of abuse, have you noticed that abusers pick a favored child or do they tend to um, abuse whomever they have access to? Um, quite honest with you, the lie that my dad is this. I'm sorry, still telling today is that I am the only one. And that one time with me, and that was a mistake. 
So that's a few of the lies he's telling. But to my mm. knowledge, the first one was actually my stepsister. He never penetrated mm. her, but he was molesting her for a few years. And wow. it only stopped because she pulled a knife on him and they fought. And basically when he stopped with her, he started with me. Now, at the time, uh, he was living, you know, with my stepsister. I was with my mm. mom. Right. So when it stopped with her and I started living with him, of course, I'm sorry, of course, he had access to me, so I was in-house. Okay. Now, had one of my other sisters been with him, it's quite possible it could have been one of them. But what I do know is within my experience, when they would come over, I would mm-hmm. get in his bed so that he wouldn't mess with them. Just to be on the safe side, mm-hmm. maybe he never even intended to. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, any of my other siblings? Um, no, I'm not aware of. And then what was the other question that you asked me? My question was, in your uh, experience working with uh, survivors of abuse, have you noticed that they tend to pick a favored child, or is it just any and all that they have opportunity to molest? Okay. I think that it depends on um, the the opportunity. Okay. Um, mm. that, you know what? Predators, that's what they do. They pray. Right. They can engage with a child just like an adult, mm-hmm. who's the more vulnerable ones are. Okay. Um, they they prey on ones who they they know ain't getting that type of love at home, or you know even the spoiled kids who got everything, but they still mm-hmm. not getting that type of attention. Like they they right. pray. So I don't think that there's like a favorite. I think that they just prey on whomever they feel is um, that they can, because, of course, rape is about power and control. So mm-hmm. I think that they, anybody right. that they feel that they can assert power over and control, that, excuse me, that's who their victim is going to be. Okay. Mm. So, so it's, basically, it's basically like a thing where it's, it's the, uh, the easiest target. And that makes sense because that's a predator. You know, a predator yes. uh, preys and they on study. the weak they and, and the vulnerable. Right. I have heard people say, but he was so, you know, like, especially father figures or fathers or whatever, like, you know, so many years he never did anything, especially the mama boyfriend stuff. You know, mm-hmm. he always was mm-hmm. just that and the third. I just really cared about him as a father. And then all of a sudden he made his move, heard it with pastors and things like that, too. Um, coaches, dance coaches particularly and stuff like that. But that's mm-hmm. what they do. They can go a year, two, three years just gaining your trust. Letting you get more and more and more comfortable around them so that they can make their move. Right. And, I mean, it's crazy you have individuals who think like that. You know what? Like, there's even an organization, I think it's called NAMLA, which is, a, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a pro-pedophile, you know, right. organization where they're actually looking to get federal legislation passed mm-hmm. where um, where pedophilia will be will be something that is that is acknowledged, you know, and, and so you'll have it now if, if, I mean, if they have their way where there will be an LGBTQP community and LGBTQ Well, no, the, the LGBTQ, the, LGBTQ, the LGBTQIAP community ain't going for it. I can tell you that. I've mm. already been researching all up in that because I'm a part of that community. So, no, we, they're, they're okay. not going for that. We're not trying to have them indoctrinated. There's a lot of us sitting there, all inclusive of a lot right. of things, but that will not be one of them. You, I, right. I, Trust me, I've been on top of that. But, okay. but the organization that you're referring to, you're absolutely right. They are in existence, and they've been trying for a long time. It ain't new. Yeah, they have. Because I was, I was actually doing yeah. some reading on it. They've been around since the 90s. And, and yeah. you know, it's, it's just now, 
Yeah, well, you, well, you're starting to hear about it. And I mean, like, can you like have, you know, um, no, no shame. I mean, it's and and, and like, like I said, you it's, said everything it's, is so normalized now. Everything is so normalized right. now. Like it's like everything is okay. Right, right, and and that's I think that's where they're trying to get it because now you hear you hear them coming up with terms like pansexual, which is you know uh, someone who who has no, you know, no sexual, no sexual, you know, um, restraints or anything like that. It's just like anything goes and of course, within that. Well, no, that's not be... true because I'm pansexual. That's not true. That's not what pansexuality well, what is. is. Pan- what pansexuality is just means that I have, it just means that I have the, I, I have the proclivities that I am, I, I'm attracted to men, women. Okay. I like to say I like the heart, not part. Because I'm not going to sleep with anything and everybody. It just that it just means that I have the <laughs> propensity that I am able to be attracted, and not just attracted to, form relationships and bonds and be in an actual mutual and intimate relationship, just like any other relationship with that person. Mm. So that's what pansexuality okay. is. It means that we date people within that whole spe- spectrum of the LGBTQIAP community. We date within that whole well, what, spectrum. What, and we what date, is IAP? What, uh, does, what does that stand people, for? Um, intersex, asexual, and pansexual. Oh. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, I'm interested by that. That by that asexual. What what is, what is what is? Because I, I asexual that's just like being by yourself, right? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. How does that work? I don't know. I'm not asexual. <laughs> 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 I don't know how it works at all. Okay, <laughs> I have a no idea. <laughs> you know, I can only speak on my experiences, and you know, my right. you know what I represent. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I mean, have to look into that. I don't like labels at all. I don't. I don't care for labels mm. at all. But if I have to right. choose just to make someone else comfortable to feel like they need to understand parts of me, then that's you know that's what it is. Okay. Um, now I have another because question. I don't, have a, I don't have a preference. I'm I'm open to whatever God would have for me. Okay. Right. I understand that. Um. Well, let me ask you this. Okay. Like, say a parent finds out that that their child is being um, sexually sexually abused or, or molested. What should be? What are the steps that they should take when it comes to dealing with that issue? in a way that, that does the least amount of damage to, to the child psychologically, emotionally, um, and physically? Well, the first thing they're going to want to consider, because not everybody wants to report, but okay. if they do want to report, yeah, if they do want to report, you know, they're going to excuse me, have to consider all the different ramifications of reporting because sad enough, when these kids mm-hmm. and women and men, when they go to report, we don't get support, especially from law enforcement. They don't believe us. They don't listen to us. And they'll mm-hmm. do whatever they got to do to hurry up and get our asses up out of there so they don't have time, you know, spend time trying to, you know, work this stuff out. They, You know, I have right. heard them say, you know, the questions that they ask kids, like I said, even how they questioned me 30 years ago about why did I wear, wear certain things around my father. And I knew that I hadn't worn nothing crazy or, you know, out of the way. But they do they do right. these kids and adults like that, rape victims, period. That's how they handle them, like they're so rough with them and, 
you know, the way that they talk to them, they don't believe them, and all this stuff. So it makes it scary for them to report. If they can, they might want to seek out an advocate in the area to help them go through the process so they don't have to go through it alone and somebody who can speak for them who understands the law and understands the psychological aspect of it because kids will get railroaded, too, simply because of the psychological aspects that they deal with that cause them to act out in school and stuff where they're sitting up there with an IEP for behavior issues when, you know what I'm saying, when somebody just needs to understand that this child has been hurt and they need therapy and counseling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some, someone who has – and and immediately when that child comes to you, especially if they've been hurt recently, take them to get a rape kit. Yeah. And a okay. lot of times what happens, even when they get to that point, they're scared. They don't want to, you know, talk about what happened. And like I said, they go through the whole thing with law enforcement. It's right there at that point that sometimes, most times they'll back out. That's why okay. when people right. talk about – the statistics for women that lie, yeah, there are statistics for it. And like I said, I, I like to even be fair and go as high as 10% because they usually say 2 to 8%. But within that percentage right. period are those women and children who recant their story. Right, right. So if they continue to go further with the process and reporting, like I said, I would suggest uh, an advocate. And, and, and there are advocates in these areas. You can go to RAIN um, and then uh, what mm-hmm. is it, the National... National Sexual Assault Hotline, and that number is 1-800-656-HOPE. Between those two 1-800-656-HOPE. 1-800-656-HOPE. Okay. And on either of those websites, you can find local um, agencies and advocates in the area to go go through this process uh, with you beginning to end. And, and okay. important that they get that child in therapy and counseling as, as soon as possible. And, right. and don't let these people keep putting these kids on drugs because mm. they're trying to regulate right. behaviors. Right. That makes, um, you know, that makes uh, perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, so, like, let me ask you this. What are some of the things that we can do as as a black collective to um, deal with this issue and maybe come up with some type of, of solutions? Because, you know, prevention is worth a pound. Of, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. What's some of the things in, in your view that we can do as a community that will, um, you know, reduce the numbers and the instances of sexual abuse within our community and within our social spaces? Well, one thing I would love to do, I would love to get with a bunch of my black women and have us a coalition and start our own Me Too movement within our own black community. That's number one, because we need to spread awareness so that people are fully aware of what's going on. And I talk to kids a lot of times. They always want to talk with me. Because nobody's listening mm-hmm. to adults. Maybe we get enough kids that will open their mouths and talk about their experiences to these adults and tell them what's going on, then these, then these adults will start listening because we have to learn to be more open. We have to learn to be mm-hmm. more inquisitive because we have so much going on in our daily lives, whether we're single mothers, whether we're, you know, any of us. We just have so much going right. on. A lot of times we, you know, kids, you know, we, don't, we don't pay attention to a lot of stuff, start paying attention. Right. Sometimes just stop right. and break down and, you know, sit down and talk with your kids. 
And then, like I said, we need to be more supportive of the victim, and we need to you know, we can't we can't stand up with these guys when they're doing stuff. We know they ain't got no business. It's not cute when you're at the right. barbershop and they're talking about a 14-year-old and how fat her ass is. Right. It's just exactly. not. You understand? Exactly. And we got to start checking each other about our behavior because, you know, I understand what white folk do, but see, for me, it's like this. When I talk about what my kids going into my house and my kids say, well, so-and-so do it. I don't give a damn what so-and-so doing in their house. I'm talking about what's going on in my house. So yeah, when it comes to right. what white people do, white people have always proved to us they're going to do what they want to do. So I don't care what they do. I don't care if they arrest them. I don't care what they do with them. What I care about is how we have broke, been broken down within our community. And like I said before, our women, we are the backbone. We are the backbone of our men. And when you break our women and then you want to talk about gold diggers and, and women raising these uh, bad kids or whatever because single mothers, or, you know, they always want to put stuff on us because it is hard being a single mother. But what are our choices? Mm-hmm. So, right, you know, exactly. it's, it's, it's got, it's, we, got, we just got to, we got to collectively come together. There's a lot of things that we got to just start, uh, stop thinking about, uh, stop putting so much of our time, attention, energy, and focus on you know the 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 uh we got the biggest thing that's going on in the community right now is losing our um black men particularly in the streets with these cops right. I mean, right. you understand what I'm saying? That's one of the things that we really need to focus on, and this issue right here is another one we need to prioritize. Right, and instead of these so-called hotel pro-black brothers out here fighting with one another <laughs> and all this other stuff, Umar done sat up here with all this three hundred and some thousand dollars, and you might not have no school because yeah, it does take a lot to get a charter school going. But where the hell is that three hundred thousand dollars? What you do with it? Right, right, exactly, right. exactly. You understand? And that's, and we, that's we don't have you know, no like... no organization and no real leaders. Mm-hmm. We just got everybody. It's like trying to be leaders, and you got some that's coming together that's pointing the fingers at the at the other. We gotta we gotta get rid of that crabs in a barrel attitude. We gotta mm-hmm. get right. rid of it. How are we gonna do it? Only God <clears throat> knows. But we gotta get rid of it. Right. right, and that and that's why I said you know that that black women and black children they de- they deserve a higher standard of of manhood and, and leadership. This thing where because the bar is set so low for, for what, because of what we, we become accustomed to, that we take any form of leadership and any form of, uh, of manhood is something that has, to be, that has to be changed and has to be challenged. We have to up that standard. That is the first standard we have, we have to up because, um, you know, it, because it, it, the, the goal of and, and the responsibility of protecting the women, the children, and each other is going to always fall at the at the feet of of the men. Um, we have another caller, caller eight six four. I'm gonna bring you on. Um, you can make your comment, or, or if you have a question, just be brief. Yeah, caller eight six four. Hello, caller. Yeah, hello. Caller eight. Yeah, yeah. How you doing? What's your name? My name is Equine from Carlin from South Carolina. Okay. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great, brother. Doing great. All right. Um, you have um, you have a question or comment? Uh, just basically chiming in on the subject. Uh, and I will let the sister know that uh, I I don't want no smoke, but I am uh, I might be considered one of the hotel because I do agree. 
greet, uh, you know, my brothers and sisters <laughs> with Hotel. But I wouldn't actually be, um, you know, definitely I'm, I'm pro-black for my people okay. first. Um, you know, so I ain't, I'm not, um, I do know that in the community that she, she speaks, uh, they're all flawed characters. Um, and as well, there are a lot of good, um, good people there. Um, as well right. as even in the church, in the church, you got, you know, preachers that are, uh, probably, you know, lay down with somebody's wife mm-hmm. quicker than anybody else. Okay, um, but but mm-hmm. you do as well have good people. Um, so I think right. um, we should take don't throw the baby out with the bathwater type of mentality with any type of mm-hmm. organization that we're dealing with. And if they are able to make and have results, um, then I, mm-hmm. I, I say, well, hey, let's roll with it. In this case, when we're talking about the pedophilia, sexual mm-hmm. abuse that goes on in our family. Um, it is one that kind of comes in this time of what they call post-traumatic slave syndrome, right? Right. Well, we do know that we have been fighting uh, open and known oppressive for quite some time. And I right. don't know how you guys see it, but to me, we haven't been so successful in that fight. So a lot of times when, you know, something is eating at you and you don't mm-hmm. accomplish task of taking that out, you wind up allowing it to eat on you and feed on you. Just as cows. Or you wind up basically eating yourself. You know, basically right. killing yourself. And mm-hmm. this is what we see with, um, you know, basically with our people. With us still being right. trained, being taught the day is Malcolm X's birthday. And Malcolm X right. stated only a fool would allow his oppressors to teach or train his children. And sometimes when we come back into our house or our home, which our home should be the environment that are to remind us who we are. They are supportive Mm. or should be supportive in allowing us to sustain a quality of life. A lot of times, you know, the home environment is an environment where, you know, mama might have a bad boyfriend there. He might be beating up on mother. He may be uh, abusing the children, these types of these, these types of things, and you know, right. and 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 I do feel like even with conversations such as these, you know, us having and creating think tanks, that does help out more so than I guess us not having any at all because it's not popular. What is popular is how hard or how bad that. You know these young ladies can twerk it, or how uh, much, how much yoni a young brother can get. That is the conversation. You understand? And that is ran by a coach uh, right now, which is European. He is in control of. He's the one that pays these artists to go out there and, and sing these raunchy songs. So when our children right. listen to them, they kind of think that this is okay. When you have grown adults mm. that are out there doing, and, and again. This is something that we have to keep our eyes on. We have to create standards, and we have to put a, you know, uh, you know, we have to put our foot down. We cannot play with these people. They got to get their butt whooped. If you know people are uh, raping our women, you know, uh, the hell with leaving it up to the same police 
and come into our community mm. and kill us. Right. We're gonna have right. to, you know, we're gonna have to lay down this justice for ourselves as mm. far as letting these, you know, perpetrators, letting suspects that commit these crimes know, hey, you better not come over here trying that uh, you know, nothing. And you know crazy. how you know you get a good, that's a good point right. because if they know that retribution is going to happen within the community, like you liable to get your ass whooped really well, mm-hmm. you understand? Then we ain't got to worry right. about all our black men constantly, constantly getting locked up. Right. Because they're a lot less inclined if they think, you know, uh, the four brothers over here is going to come whoop my ass if I do something wrong. Then really they are worried right. about um, with this whole thing with law, you know, law enforcement because, because um Sexual assault is not treated like it should be. The laws really should be changed. If anytime somebody's getting 14 or so years and only doing four, and I'm not even talking about my case anymore. I'm right. talking current. So. so I think that's a very good idea within the community, retribution within our own community. Right. 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 And I, and but and but I it, seem, it seems to me like there's this disposition by, from, from, from a lot of brothers where we, we tend to excuse the behaviors of of those men within our community like you just like you just mentioned melody where you know where uh, guys will be you know like that barbershop locker room talk where they'll be talking about the body of a of a 13 or 14 year old girl you know so it, it like i said it's it's so normalized and there and there's such a visceral knee-jerk reaction to to white supremacy that we tend to we tend to give give the black male within our social space is too much leeway and because there's actually a, a historical pedigree to that when it comes to this sexual abuse issue where there's something I mentioned at the top of the show where you know a lot of times sisters who who were abused by by um, a black male relative or something like that would be urged and cautioned not to not not to expose him because of what might be done to him at the hands of white people and I mean this is even going as far back as the Jim Crow era like you know, that these things, um, you know, were taking place and that that disposition was prevalent. And, like, I think we have to realize that with everything that we're talking about, because as the brother just referenced uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome, that, you know, these things are a part of a theme. These are thematic uh, instances that continually play themselves out in a continuum. And, 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 and that continuum for black for the black community and black society is one of dysfunction because we've been demoralized to a certain degree. We've been demoralized at the hands of, of white supremacy. So I think I think the real issue here is when it comes to uh, what the brother was just mentioning where we should, you know, be be the pedophile down in the black community, I think that many of the brothers are, are demoralized and are emasculated and that they don't they lack the moral ethical compass to take that position, let alone act on that position, and that is what we have to. That is the real issue that we have to get to. But um, finish, finish making your comment, brother, and then I'm, I'm gonna let you go. No, I just wanted to say that uh, you are absolutely right, and we we should have, you know, like uh, societies, like men's societies, men orders, you know, just as the Masons, quote unquote, brotherhood, the fraternal hood. Or orders mm-hmm. these white boys have. We gotta have mm-hmm. the same thing, and where our brothers and sisters, and like a, I'm gonna say, a mafia style, where right. we are raising mm-hmm. young boys how to be men, 
not to go out here. And right. now they, our young boys do the same thing in the game dynamic, where they put their life mm-hmm. on the line. Where we have to put our life on the line for our children and our women, and we gotta, you know what I'm right. saying? Raise our young men up to teach them how this and why this is very important. Another thing I wanted to right. hear that right before I leave is right now they're talking okay. about this uh, this slut pride movement where it's okay to go mm-hmm. out now in the dynamic in in which you guys are discussing. Hey, we got rape so mm-hmm. many rape cases that are going under the radar. We have the sex trafficking situation mm-hmm. where thousands of our young girls are being kidnapped or being taken, even women. This 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 thing is on the rise right now. They talking about the back page or whatever it is mm-hmm. is coming to be right. popular. It's getting out of hand. So right now they talking about the slut shaming and where women are coming out saying that I should be uh, uh, able to go out and wear my nipples and my Behind, you know, these are absolutely not the times that you would want to go out flaunting and flashing your derriere or your your breast mm. or whatever you have. You understand? Because you do have right. these sick individuals out here, and you do have a system that don't really give a damn about what mm-hmm. happens in our community. So this is exactly. not the time you should be trying to wear skimpy or the less clothes but you, because you got all of these predators and these sick-thinking men out here, even in our own community, that will take you behind mm-hmm. some bushes. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know. so we. I, I just wanted to throw that out as we have yeah, this conversation. Yeah, because that's, okay. that's when I get beat up by feminists. I, Everybody always want to think because of my stance that I'm a feminist. Appreciate your call. But that's when I get beat up by feminists because I, I feel the exact mm-hmm. same way. You know, this right. is not the time for girls to feel like they can walk out here. Yeah, okay, I am woman, hear me roar. I should be able to wear what I want to wear, do what I want to do. But when you're in a dark alley or you in, when you're in a position that you didn't even realize that you was with a predator and they get ready to snatch your clothes off or try to assert power over you, what are you going to do? Raise your fist, I am woman, hear me roar? I, I, I never agree with that. Never right. agree right. with I, that. Yeah, right. I, 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 I get that. Because that, that's, you know, even like when the, with that Kanika Jenkins case, when that when that whole thing was going on, I you know I got into it. I often run a ground of, you know, of, of feminists because they because they misunderstand my position based on on the things I see as well. And and that was the point I was making that your rhetorical point and a rhetorical flourish on an ideological point is moot and irrelevant over over a, a sexually mutilated corpse. The, the, what we should exactly. be teaching our our young women is how to protect themselves, and and because as I've just mentioned, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Because like let, let's let's be real, it, within a perfect society and within a perfect world, I shouldn't have to worry about my child playing in the front yard or playing in the backyard. Right. But the reality of it is, is that you have predators out here, deviants out here. Monsters out here who prey on the weak and the vulnerable, and it's just mm-hmm. like you know, I'm not going to walk down the street counting no sixteen thousand dollars, you know, what I'm saying in my hand because right. I understand that that makes me a target. And so for women, it has to be the same thing. I mean, I know, I understand the the the, the ideology behind what you're saying. I understand it. I get it. Like that should be the way it is, but that's not the way it is. The, the real world. Right realistically speaking, is something totally different. And if you want to, you know, keep yourself protected, 
and preserved, then you're going to have to work, walk circumspectly within certain circumstances and situations. Um, Kenya, what, 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 what do you think about, you know, about that whole angle to it, you know, that, that aspect? What are some of your thoughts on, on that? Can you, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. I said what, because, you know, like the brother was just mentioning, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the way a woman might dress or, or carry yeah. herself and stuff like that and how that makes them targets. And right. I was just asking you, what do you think about that? Because we know what the, you know, what the feminist uh, position is on that. And, it, and even though there may be merit to it, ideologically speaking, when we talk right. about what is realistic and practical within the mm-hmm. real world, then yeah. we're talking about something totally different. So I was just asking, what are some of your thoughts on that angle of, you know, the sexual abuse and sexual violence within the black community? Right. Well, theoretically, I would say that, um, you know, it's not up to women to have all these countermeasures to survive and navigate the dysfunction of being prey, Mm -hmm. you know, to our own, our own men. But at the same time, you know, you know, I believe in modesty. So, you know, I'm not going to walk around looking like a snack, you know, when I know that some men cannot and will not control themselves. And just because it's Mm -hmm. wrong that they refuse to control themselves does Mm -hmm. not mean that, you know, to prove a point, I'm going to put myself in danger, you know, and I wouldn't advise other women to do so, to be walking around on principle, putting yourself in danger Mm -hmm. when we know full well that, you know, the abuse and the assaults are happening. There's no, I mean, Mm -hmm. just because you're right in that you should be able to walk around in skimpy clothes without being harmed doesn't mean you should do it. Right. So so I agree with Melody on that. You know, theoretically, it sounds great. You know, you you should be able Mm -hmm. to walk down the street naked. Would I advise you to do that? Right. (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, and um and you know and also I, that's why it's also incumbent also on men to admonish other men for this this disposition where you just can't control yourself either. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's something that that you know that I strive to do too is you know communicate to you know to brothers and other men that that is not socially acceptable or cool either. Like there's a, like, you, and, and, as, and as that caller just said, these things, oh, I think that was Tianki, but as he mentioned, like this is a complicated, you know, these things are, are complicated and complex issues because there are so many levels and nuances and caveats and caveats to it. And so, uh-huh. but, but the main goal and focus should be healing within our communities when it comes to this issue. And it also it also should be punishment. Like people who who violate that that ethic within our social spaces should be ostracized. It should yeah. It should suffer severe penalties. This you know like I mean like look at R. Kelly. Like we talked about him earlier. Look at R. Kelly. Like mm-hmm. I've had conversations with men talking about the things that R. Kelly, you know his history and stuff like that, and they'll talk mm-hmm. about well. Well, look who 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 most who who mostly buys music. If you go to R. Kelly, if you go to an R. Kelly concert, it's it's filled up with women. All right, like that's an excuse that we're making as men. Because my question and my response to that is, why are you taking your cue from from the woman as what uh, of how you should treat 
a sexual monster within your community? Why are you taking your cue from right. You, right. you, you want to claim that you're a leader and that you're a king and that you're here to, you know, that, that you're here to protect? Well, then what are you taking your cue from them for? Like, I'm not, right. I'm not right. taking my cue, my cue from, from women on how I feel about R. Kelly. I'm using the moral compass that I live my life by. And he's a monster. He should be ostracized. He should be in jail somewhere. And he should be muted. Like, you know what I'm saying? We shouldn't give him any any leeway within our within our social spaces, man. Like even a few, you know, mm-hmm. a few months ago when, you know, they had that thing going on about him having a sex coat and and all this, and he was engaging in all this. Like you had a lot of a lot of brothers and women, and this goes back to what the point Melody made: how women are are are, are proponents of rape culture too. That and you had a lot of women who were defending them. You know what I'm saying? Somebody like and a, he what a lot of people didn't understand because to, you know. A lot mm-hmm. of people didn't understand because, you know, he had a house, what, in Chicago, one in Atlanta. I'm not sure which one, but one, you have to be 16 for age of consent for sex, and the age of 17 is the other. And what a lot of people didn't know, mm-hmm. he was grooming them long before they turned seven, 16 and 17 so that by the time they turned 16 and 17, they would be ready to move mm-hmm. into the house. Right. 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 <clears throat> Can I say something else? Yeah, go I ahead. I just want to say, okay, I just want to say because um, communicating with my um my friend Asia, who was called into the show before, and she just made the good point that even when a woman covers up, she's still a target. And that's true because we all have heard of the stories where, you know, uh, a man who just wants to rape somebody will break into a house and and rape an elderly grandmother. So, you know, whether or not she's adequately clothed is not an excuse to rape. But I'm just saying for the protection, I don't have a daughter, but if I did have a daughter, I would definitely tell her to err on the side of caution. That's all I'm saying. Right. And that, and that just goes back to what I was saying when I said um, don't take chances with children. Don't take, sure. take chances mm-hmm. with yourself. I mean, that just is what it is. You, my mom raised us on this thing where you never know the state of mind of another person. So why take chances? I mean, I, like right. I said, I'm all for it. I think I should be, a- be able to do whatever it is that I want to do. Yeah, I feel like I should be able to walk around butt naked. That's my right. But the fact of the matter, that's not the, the society that we live in. I could get by, by the time I get to the corner, I might be snatched. Well, they might not want me now. But I could be snatched up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I do, because rape is about power and control. It's not about what somebody looks like. You're right. They rape elderly people. They mm-hmm. rape uh, disabled people. You yeah. understand? So we all know what ain't got nothing to do with what you're wearing or what you're not wearing, but because yeah. a lot of men are well, and tell me if I'm wrong, um, Amiri, but we, they're, they're mm. physical creatures, visual, visual creatures, uh-huh. and like right. most of us, That's you true. know, we, we see what we're attracted to, and some men just will not, maybe cannot, control their urges. Is that our fault? Mm. Absolutely not. Should we have right. to shoulder that burden like Kenya said? Absolutely not. But right. that's the life, that, that's the society that we live in. And right. for your safety, don't take, take chances with yourself. And with them, yeah. whole, this whole thing where they, they, they you know, with, the, with feminists that feel like it's okay to give that message, it pisses me off because you got young girls coming up under you that's thinking it's okay to do this. So you're telling them to essentially put themselves in positions to be hurt. Yeah. Where the hell are you going to be at when these girls are in these positions? Right. And now their whole personalities and lives have, lives have changed because they are running behind your mm. message. Not to say it's a bullshit right. message, but it's a half-done message. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not really practical for, you know, for for the the pitfalls and dangers that, that are prevalent right. within 
you know, within American society. And, and, and then it and goes you know back what? to prioritizing. It goes back to prioritizing. What's more important? Is it more important that you get right. a point across, or is it more important that you stay safe and that you protect others? Right. Right. And, and navigating dysfunction is just part of the black woman's experience. You know, that's why, you know, we have a such thing called the game, and men will play mm. the game, but for the female loved ones that they care about, they will give away the game. And what they're essentially doing is telling them, look, there's a system in place, it's dysfunctional, it's messed up, but here is how I'm going to teach you to navigate right. it, to protect you. So even if I want to reserve the right to mistreat other men's daughters, I want to have groom you with a mindset of self-protection because I know it's messed up and they're either I don't want it to, or I know that I can't single-handedly change it for you. I'm just going to teach you how to navigate it and be protected. Right. 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 That's absolutely right. Um, and you know what? And, and cause I just had a thought and it, it goes back to what the, the brother from, from South Carolina mentioned. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, it just goes to show how, how these things are, are, are connected because in a couple of weeks we're going to be doing a show and it's going to be titled the rise of the docile black male. And, mm-hmm. and, and what that is, is you have, now you have an ilk of men out here who have totally lost their will, you know, their will to fight a white supremacy. And that, that, that is, They've lost the will to fight for themselves, to fight for their women, to fight for their children, and to fight for the community. And mm. that that dynamic manifests itself in, in various, you know, in, in various ways. And 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 let's be clear: just because someone is docile, it does not mm. mean they aren't violent and they are not prone to violence. Absolutely, because Absolutely. within this fight against white supremacy and racism, mm-hmm. physical violence is probably the least effective because we're dealing with a system and with a people in a country that have mastered the art of violence, of physical violence and, and physical yeah. intimidation. What it, what it really requires on a fundamental level is psychological, spiritual, mental, and emotional uh, fortitude. And mm-hmm. That's something that is lacking from a lot of our men. This is something that I've noticed, and this that reality has also brought on the rise of what we call the rise of sodomirism, where there is this profound hatred right now for mm. black women, where it's you know it's 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 become popular to be anti-black woman, um, and this issue go it goes back to this issue too. See, because what it is is for a lot of men who are systematically cut off from any from any power, politically, financially, even socially, what they do is they mitigate their existence through their penis and through their ability of being able to dominate someone sexually. Like so these things are very intricate and, and multi-layered, and I just wanted to put that out there because it goes to show uh, how these things are all interrelated and how this is all part of a culture of this of dysfunction. And that is something, you know, that's something I've stated that for the black community and for the black family, it is vital that we build black men. 
and and what that yeah. also means. It means that that doesn't mean that we give a blind pass to the things that they do. It means that we that we have to have standards of accountability. We have to have a we have to have a standard, you know. And so that was something I just wanted to put out there because I mean it's it's deep when when you really you know when you really think about it. And that, and that was part of the process that they used back in the you know in the slavery days with the with the bug breaking where they would sexually violate these men for the purpose of breaking right. their spirit right. and and breaking them psychologically. And I think that's where a lot of brothers are at. And, and I mean, it's something that's reflected within our social dynamics, within our, within our family dynamics and our community dynamics. Like you can't ignore that, ignore that reality because one thing we do understand and, and, and a lot of brothers understand it too, is that, when you're dealing with a woman who might be a single mother, and she's and you know she has her, her children and stuff like that, is that there? And if there's no man there, then that means there's no protection there. Typically speaking, you know, like th- we see those women as easy targets because you know a lot of times the woman is dealing with you know a lot of issues. She's dealing with the the weight of a family. Like I, you know, even as being as a man who's the head of his household, I, for me it's a it's it's a burden and it's a fight. So I can imagine what it's like for you know for for a single mother who might be trying to make ends meet and stuff like that. And so that's how come it's going to take a uh, a, 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 a macroscopic approach to these issues to actually get to some semblance of of solutions and and healing. What's um what what are y'all? Because we're getting down to the last fifteen minutes. Um, Melody, just you know, going into this into the last portion of the show, just uh, give us you know tips and stuff like that that we can use when it comes to protecting our children. Um, some some more of the warning signs that might be that might could tip us off and things like that. And um, you know, just just tell tell everyone where they could find you at on social media and some of the things you have coming up. And um, you know some more of the advocacy work that you do on this uh, profound and important issue within our community. And tell us okay. the name of your book. Tell us the name okay. of your book, Melody. <laughs> okay. Um, you want me to do that first, or you want me to do the other stuff first, and then give it to you, or uh, which, does it matter? Which, whichever way you want. It's, it's your world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First, let me just um, the, the 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 most important things that you can look for in your children um, to tell whether or not they may have been sexually abused. First off, I want to encourage people to please, please, please look up if nothing else. If you look mm-hmm. up 37 residual effects or 37 after effects of, of uh, childhood sexual abuse. A lot of those things right there you can actually look for in your children and in adults <clears throat> because when uh, with kids, they do things like cutting, like with self-mutilation. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of kids mm-hmm. doing things that kids uh, that parents don't know about because they do them in places where they can't see them, even in their uh, v- uh, vaginas and stuff like that. So I encourage people to check out that checklist. But also uh, main signs can be, like I said, sad and de- mm-hmm. uh, depressed, uh, mm-hmm. anger, fighting, uh, lashing out, um, uh, promiscuity out of nowhere, or at least sexual behavior, sexual conversation, sexual uh, body movements, sexual questions, mm-hmm. um, uh, re- being, becoming recluse, 
uh, don't want to deal with anybody, don't want to go to family functions or whenever uh, mentioning certain family members, getting quiet, uh, you know, uh, you know, hush and silence and stiffness and, you know, just pay attention, pay attention to your children, talk to your children. That's very important. Um, What I do want to say, I want to give a message to those who are um, wondering, like you asked me about the survival tips and dealing with a a lot of stuff. Um, What I most important, uh, I want people to understand how it is important to always control your own thoughts. Because if you control your own thoughts, you can control your own life. And when you allow someone else to control your thoughts, you become a reactionary person, which means you're reacting to those things or those people or that situation. So I encourage people to be proactive, which essentially means you Mm -hmm. have to directly and intentionally work on changing your thoughts every day because your thoughts, thoughts are habitual. Especially uh, uh, those of us who have experienced sexual violation, when from our very first experiences, whatever those thoughts that we're having in that moment, whether we're questioning ourselves or whatever it is, we take those thoughts all the way up until into adulthood, which is why it messes with so many different areas of our lives, just feeling worthless, not good enough. You understand what I'm saying? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you ha- and and you, what it is, you have to learn, then you have to unlearn then you have to relearn, and then you learn more. And that's basically what uh, recovery is. And you have to be wanting and willing to put in the work to get it done. Everybody thinks that I'm like this superwoman or something, and I tell people I'm no different than nobody else. I saw what needed to be done, and I went and did it. And what gives me, gives me my strength, my courage, and my conviction to be able to stand for myself and to stand for other people is knowing that I did it myself. When we do things for mm. ourselves, knowing that I didn't have no help except for me and God and some self-help books, do you know how much strength that gives me that I was able to change who I am? I suffered from 37 residual effects, and as I sit here talking to you today, I might suffer from anywhere of one to three. Mm. Because That's I say that it never really goes to way. It never really goes away. It's like pain management. You know how you got rheumatoid arthritis or something like that. So it never mm-hmm. ever goes away. You just learn how to manage that pain. Right. That's right. a lot of what that is. So you do have to want it. You have to be willing, and you have to go want and you have to fight for it. Because I tell people nobody is going to bring your recovery to you on a on a plate with wine and cheese. They're not going to say, "Here, I'm going to help you." No, you got to want it and you got to fight for it to go get it. And I always tell people this: you've been fighting uh, every day of your life since your experience just to exist every day. Because most of us are just existing. We're not living. We just mm-hmm. flowing through life. Mm-hmm. So if you don't spend all this time. Just existing. Why, why wouldn't you fight to go get the life that you deserve? Okay. Right. So another thing I want to say, stop waiting for validation from other people about your experiences, is particularly family. People get hung up with that whole word family. But family are people, they're people just like other people, and they're not going to change who they are just because we have the same blood running through our veins. So you can't get caught up waiting for them to validate your experiences because you'll go through life, period, waiting for people to validate you. Um, I mentioned right. the after effects, um, and 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 with the if you go if you look at the after effects, especially those who've had this experience, because that's why I encourage it for more. Um, you'll understand the importance of doing it, of, of of beginning your process of recovery, because if you don't, all you're going to do is live that same existence, and those 37 different residual effects, whether you suffer with one or 37, they yeah. don't do nothing but get worse. Okay. So let's see that because I, I, I wrote my notes down here, stuff that I really wanted to make sure that I get out. Okay. Oh, for those 
who have not told anyone yet, for those who, are, who, are, who have had experiences who have not said anything yet. Be patient with yourselves and be patient and understand that your experience is your own and only you choose when to share it, when you feel like you're ready. However, always keep in mind that mm-hmm. the longer that you choose not to say anything, you are protecting a predator and allowing him to hurt someone else, particularly yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Also, telling your story not also helps you feel better because I've had so many people that said, God, I'm just glad I told somebody. And, then, yeah. and, and sometimes they don't have to come out and tell the world, but just telling somebody literally changes their lives. That gives them power. Yeah. But you never know how your story is helping someone else come out with their stories, and we all need support. And I always tell people that God didn't allow you to get through your stuff so you could sit on it. Right. He gave right. you your stuff so that you could get through it, figure out how you maneuver through it, so that you could go tell somebody else how you get got through it, so that they could get through it. Right. So I know it's a hard process. I know the society and everything that we're living in, it don't make it easy. Right. But always consider that when you're not saying something, you are essentially putting someone else in the position to be hurt. And I know, no, we're not responsible. We're not responsible. Right. But always understand it could be you again or somebody else that you love. Right. That's right. So those are my, all, all of my points um, on that. Um, with regard to my books, uh, oh. I have two. The first one is called uh, uh, The Birth, The Representation, The Celebration of Me. And that was, it's more or less like a little, uh, like like journaling that I started doing when I first started my recovery. Remember when I told you how I wrote the letter to my family and Uh sent it off to them and everything? Well, that letter is actually in that book. And it's also a piece where I write about the first night that it happened. And um, some other things, short story, poetry, and it kind of just gives a glimpse into my head while I was just starting my my recovery. And I like to emphasize journaling because journaling can be very um, cathartic, very, very healing because it's about getting out those unexpressed emotions. There's a lot of us in the in the uh, black women and within the black community that we mm-hmm. have, uh, we go through these rage fits. And it's not just women who have been sexually abused. It's just that we've been through so much that we're like pots of boiling water every day. Of, uh, stuff, of unexpressed emotions from little kid stuff that we continue to sit on and sit on when nobody's not either not giving validation, you know, we feel like we've been silenced and, you know, all of this other mm-hmm. stuff. So then that stuff starts to, uh, you know, topple over. And journaling and, you know, whether you do it through art, whether you do it through music, because in that book I did it through everything. I did everything but draw and tap dance. <laughs> <laughs> but in doing that, I got all of that stuff out. You understand what I'm saying? You can curse anything. You can say anything. You do whatever you want because you get that stuff out. So that's what I like to emphasize that when journaling through sex, uh, the recovery of sexual violation. The second one is my workbook, and it's called Mel's Jumpstart to Recovery Psychoeducational Workbook. And I like to emphasize psychoeducational because I don't just give you information. I teach. I try to teach in everything I do. Like I said, help, heal, educate, motivate, inspire, and challenge rationale. So I, I give you information. Like I have a lot of people who don't like medication. There's a lot of people taking psych meds. 
yeah. for depression, anxiety, and all this other stuff, when a lot of them who are, are in counseling have been in counseling for years and never even told their therapist that they were hurt when they were young, either because the therapist might be uncomfortable with the topic or they don't know, you know what I'm saying, they, don't, they, they, might, they might even sense it but don't want to even touch it. And I'll tell you, when I was going for my master's and I was mm-hmm. in class with these other people that were becoming, becoming therapists, I always brought the topic up because I'm not going to let it be taboo. And half the mm-hmm. time, if you can see their faces and, like, the reluctance to really want to talk about it, you know, out here in the profession, it's not even just out here with law enforcement and it's in doctor's offices because these kids get treated crazy in doctor's offices, too. You would, be, you, you would not believe how even the women, nurses, treat these mm-hmm. kids. Wow. You understand? So um, I I talk about, I I try to teach about all that stuff, and I try to teach people that that PTSD, depression, uh, anxiety, all that stuff goes back to what I was talking about, controlling your thoughts. Right. If you, yeah, it's because, like, with PTSD, it's the recurring thoughts of the trauma. We play it over and over and over and over in our heads. We have to learn how to, to change the way we think. We just don't understand that we are capable of doing it. Because we've been doing it one way for so long. So I talk to people about, um, you know, you don't have to do medication. They have CBT therapy, uh, uh, the trauma-focused therapy, DBT therapy. You can even use yoga. There's so many things that you can use. But what I try to encourage people, particularly with this book, is that first understand the importance of recovery. Understand Understand it helps you find out where you are, if you are ready. If you are not ready, why not? It helps you examine all of these things about yourself. And it's going to bring up some stuff. Trust and believe. There are people who, from the beginning, they say, I'm not ready. I can't do this. And that's fine. I, I tell people, if you've got to put it down, put it down. But come back. Try not to give it too much time away from it, but come back. So that's what that book, this uh, book is. It's a, um, something to help you understand the importance of recovery. It's something to help, help you understand where you are to see if you are ready and if you feel like you are ready to begin the process, what steps you can take to do it. And you can, I have tips and tools to help you even begin the steps on your own to do it on your own because some people will be like me and they say, I think I can do this. I can start this because I have worked with people who have. So you might feel like I can do this on my own, or you might say, you know, I can try this on my own, but I'm still going to need a little therapy or a little counseling. And be careful when you're out here looking for counseling. See, me, I'm not, um, I'm not licensed for mental health uh, counseling because I didn't want to do that. I like doing life coaching. So right. I'm not licensed for that, but I still can counsel you as long as I'm not doing this mental health counseling. But be careful when you are out here choosing them because understand that there are a lot of people out here who are not licensed, who are counselors. Like when you're in the churches and stuff, they under the uh-huh. guise that I will counsel you, and it right. turns out to be something else. So, again, this book is to help you um, understand the importance, help you to understand where you are, and if you feel like you are ready, what tools to take to, take to get there, whether you want to use the book book along with therapy and counseling or the book along with therapy and counseling and medication. But make sure when you do medication that you go and get a mental health assessment. A lot of people are just going to these general uh, practitioners and they tell yeah. them, well, I feel a certain way. So then they're giving these uh, anxiety medications and depression medications and putting their kids on stuff like that. And you have not had a real mental assessment. A real mental assessment at the very least should be about an hour to an hour and a half. That's a minimum. Yeah. And you know at a general physician's office, how many general physicians are going to spend that much time with you assessing right. you to give you psych meds? None. 
So Mm -hmm. now don't get me wrong. There are people who do need it. You have people with chemical imbalances and things like that. And I suggest if you, if they say you need it and you feel like it works for you, fine. And so be it. But there are a lot of people out here who do not like the medication, myself included. I almost OD um, a long time ago because I did try to kill myself inadvertently. Oh. Oh my goodness. So now I will not, I do not care for medication at all. I don't even care how much pain I'm in. If I can withstand it to the very, very end, I won't take uh, pills. I don't like pills. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, my website um, is on Wix and it's under Coach Mel's Space. And I am on Facebook under Melody Wilson. I have my public page and also um, my, what is it, personal page. I'm mm-hmm. thinking of changing it to life coach uh, and advocate so that it is more distinguishable, uh, distinguishable, but both of them do say Melody Wilson. And I'm on Instagram under Mel Wilson, and it's at life underscore coach underscore Mel, I think, underscore Wilson. And I'm on YouTube okay. as life coach and advocate Melody Wilson. And I can be reached on every last one of those platforms. And I also have my email, Life Coach Mel. It's either Life Coach Mel Wilson or Life Coach Melody Wilson at Gmail. I'm so used to using another one, which I've been using more, which is Mel0714 at Gmail. Most people have been contacting me through that one, but I do have this other one now. I think it's Life, uh, Life Coach Melody Wilson or Life Coach Mel Wilson at gmail.com. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we just want to thank you for, you know, for coming on and sharing your, your insight, your experience. And Absolutely. your wealth of knowledge on the on the issue, and we and you know what, and we do plan on, you know, collaborating on some things and and, and getting busy when it comes to when it comes to this issue because it's 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 too much talking going on about what needs to be done, and it's gonna it's gonna be you know up to us to actually start implementing and doing some things. So you know we look we look forward to you know to that working relationship. But I do have somebody I want to bring on right quick. Because he's a brother that I know that has dealt with, um, you know, with sexual abuse at the hands of a woman. So I just, I'm just going to let him come on right quick and, mm-hmm. and, and make a brief comment. Yeah, Carla? Yeah, I'm on, man. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up? I'm all right. I'm all Hello. Right. How you doing, man? How you doing, man? The I'm doing the good. beloved Kenya. is the beloved Kenya here. Where are you doing, baby? I just want to know you good. You hear me? I'm good. All right, this 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 all that matters. What 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 you got to ask, man? I know we our time slim because I forgot about it, man. Really did. Yeah. Um. Um. You know, just talking about you know sexual abuse and pedophilia in the black community. And I remember you and I had a conversation a while back and and you even you know you you I saw you told me about I saw to the woman and everything yeah yeah so just 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 yeah. go into that right quick like just just talk about that that experience and and, and what happened to you right quick man uh, i i was a stupid man i'm 28 now bro i'll be i'll be 29 in july this year mm-hmm. uh I, back then uh it was probably I still see this woman time to time to this day, you know, every now and then. Mm. Uh, and, right. you know, that happened when I was like, I want to say 13, 14 years old. She was a teacher in my high school, man. And, you mm. know, wow. And, you know, the thing about it is, you know, the woman was beautiful, my dog. The woman was beautiful. I, I cannot, 
And, you know, and, and I didn't realize the effect that it had on me until I got older, like, you know, that I am now. Like, you know, I mm-hmm. got that girl pregnant and everything, dude. Oh, and wow. I, I, yes, I know. No, I, I'm not, look, my mama found out about it when I got older, man. I had to literally try to talk my mama out of doing, you know, what what a mother would do to her, you know. <laughs> When she right, found out, right. she found she found out on her own because I used to keep pictures of her in my, you know, in my closet and in my like like little face wow. box that I thought I could have from my parents. And my mama found out. She found that stuff, you know. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and it, you yeah. know, as I grew older, man, like that, like it, it's to the point now that, that, like I said, that I'm mature now and I know a lot of that, a lot, lot more than I did then. Yeah, they there is women out here that prey on young men like that. Maybe, I don't know why. Right. I can't say that I know why. I don't know if it's just because they done been through so much, they've been hurt so much. You know, I don't know. But that that hurt that that they screwed me up for a long time and I and I still believe that it affects me to this day. And to this uh-huh. day I can't mm-hmm. point it out. I can't point it out, bro. I can't. I can't I have mm-hmm. talked to family members. I you know, I don't talk to my daddy about it. I don't talk to my mom about it. I talk to like like close cousins that might be a couple years older than me. Like right. a lot of people mm-hmm. to me the the religious part of the family or whatnot. And, you know, and I still can't understand why I am the way that I am. And when I say the way that I am, not that I push younger people. Are, it's just like I, I I feel like it affects me. Like I, I when I used to talk to I'm, I'm gonna put it like this when I used to talk to my uh, cousin he used to say that. I used to talk to him like, so why am I this? It's, it's, I don't know, for, for lack of better words, I was just like this little horny dude all the time. Right. Like, all the time. Mm. All the time. I never understood. Like, this ain't, I'm like, because this can't be normal. He used to always tell me, man, you just a man. You just a man. I'm like, because this ain't normal, man. No, overly sexualized. Yeah, yes. I, right. I, I, I am, and I, and I was then. But I, uh, since I'm older, I have a, a, a lot more self-control over it now, you know. But, right. you know, like I said, so I don't want y'all to get me twisted on this phone. Like, I've been touching children and doing stupid stuff. I got kids myself. So I don't want y'all to get me right. twisted. But I'm just saying that, that, that it, it's an effect. It had an effect on me that I just, to this day, at 28, I still do not understand. You know, and I'm talking about I encourage you, young brother, to go look at that that, that uh after effects list that I was talking about because the stuff yeah. that you feel like you don't understand, I guarantee you everything that, that the experiences that you, you have, that you've been having ever since then, you're going to see them in that list. Every last one of them. I guarantee you, as a matter of fact, please take my information and hit me and let me know. And, and you can talk and you can, um, you said you don't have somebody to talk to. You don't have don't, somebody to talk to. You can talk to me. Hit me. You'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll talk to you. It's what I do. It's what I do. And I guarantee you, I've helped so many people because I guarantee you, in the first conversation that I have with you, I'm going to change your life. And I'm not cocky. Mm-hmm. I just know what God has given me. In the first conversation, I guarantee you, I'm just going to give you enough that you're going to, mm-hmm. if, if I don't change your life, at least I'm going to change your perception. Right. That's wonderful. Yeah. Right. So the okay. first thing and, and you so do, and this is what I always tell people: first thing you do, look at that list, and then hit me. Yeah. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get this list that you're talking about. I, I don't know what it is because, like I said, 
tuned in just a few minutes ago. I like I I forgot about. I'll get it to you. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it to you. Send it to him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll make that happen. But I but um we we actually over over the time, so I gotta go. But but um I appreciate you calling you calling in and, and sharing your experience, uh, Terrence and and Melody. Right. It, it's it's been a pleasure, and and we we you know we look forward to to uh, working together in the future. So. Um, that's been that's been the latest episode of the Great Liberators uh, broadcast. Um, take us out of here, Kenya. Okay. Um, please join us on our Facebook page, the Great Liberators Radio Show, our Facebook group, Black Men and Women United. On Blog Talk Radio, we're at www.blogtalkradio.com backslash the Great Liberators. On YouTube, our username is the Great Liberators. On Twitter. We are Great Liberators at Great Liberators. And thank you for listening. Oh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and then you can get all of our uh, videos and um, shows as they come out sent to you. You'll get a notification. Okay. All right. All right so so that's, that's been this, the latest episode in, in uh, Make Back America Great Again. I guess a Thank you for listening to The Great Liberator, hosts Amiri Brown and Kenya White. Until next time.